0: The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry Podcast. In this session, I spoke with Crystal Thorpe, a founder of Elder Decisions, who joined me to talk about using mediation to resolve family disputes about elder care issues. Crystal, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me. In our
0: elder law practice, we've run into a lot of family situations where people disagree about all sorts of things, about taking care of their parents, uh, where they're going to live, uh, if somebody's going to live with them, uh, are they going to be compensated for that? Um, or if one person's the power of attorney and somebody else isn't, uh, are they uh, stealing money um, and uh, or um, how are health care decisions going to be made? and those can of course be resolved in a court of law through a guardianship or conservatorship proceeding. But as we tell our clients, that doesn't, um, do anyone any good because, um, you might, you're probably not going to get a result you're going to like, it's going to be expensive and, um, it's going to take a long time and it's going to increase animosities. So mediation, Mm -hmm. uh, seems to always seems to us like a better, uh, resolution, um, but I wanted to hear from you, uh, someone who does this, uh, how that works, and um, and when do families actually come to mediation?
1: Great. Thanks. Um, well, you've described a lot of the situations that we see. Uh, so families come to mediation when they're stuck, really, when they're not able to make decisions on their own, uh, when communications are challenged, um, and uh, you know when they need somebody outside to help them. So other than... Rather than going to a judge, and certainly litigation costs a lot of money, takes a lot of time, and the judge is the decision maker, in mediation, parties can make their own decisions. They can figure out what works best for them, and they can save time and money in the process as well. And they don't have to give up the opportunity for good information and counsel, you know, mediate, um Mediation can involve the attorneys as well, if that seems appropriate,
0: so you and I know what mediation is, but uh, but the listener may not. so what what is it?
1: Thanks. um so it's it's really assisted negotiation, but we we like to even just say it's it's a conversation. It's a facilitated conversation where people um, work together with a mediator. Um, the The mediator isn't there to judge or take sides or give advice. They're really there to facilitate a conversation. Um often, families, come to us because they aren't able to have those productive conversations on their own. They either, um, uh, things get too emotional or they get, they erupt into arguments. Um, and so with a neutral third party, we can create a safe space, find what's going to work for the family in terms of even, even sometimes setting conversation guidelines for folks, you know, the, the family set those guidelines, um, to create a safe space so that they can make decisions together and have some productive uh, decision making
0: is mediation once and done, or are there are lots of sessions.
1: It really depends. That's a great question. Um, often with adult families, people are so scattered geographically that we find we often would have a longer session over a day or, or a weekend. Um, and if people are close by, it can often be very helpful to have a couple of sessions or, or longer. Um, so we might have a two- or three-hour session with families. They might go off and do more homework, gather more information, and then come back together again and make more decisions. Um, so it really is tailored to the family, to the situation, to the number of topics involved.
0: Do you always do it in person, or can it be done by video conference or telephone conference?
1: Both. And the um, t- technology has changed things so much for us. It's great. We had... Um, one sibling mediation where three sisters were scattered across the country, and they actually never came together for the mediation. It was all done via Zoom video conferencing. Um, we found some unexpected benefits to that as well, Mm -hmm. because, uh, it turned out in that case that one of the sisters was a chain smoker and (laughs) she was able to just be completely relaxed in her own environment. Another sister had her dogs with her. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it was a very comfortable conversation for all three of them. They didn't have to travel. Um, and we were able to conduct the whole mediation via video conference.
0: So what kind of issues do you see that, that need to be resolved this way?
1: So, um, so in that situation, it happened to be in a state situation where they had inherited uh, uh, some property, both um, physical property, you know, real estate, as well as personal belongings, and they needed to come together to decide what to do with that. Um, in other situations, people come to us because their their parents are aging; um, they're looking at care plans uh, and. The family may all agree that they want the best for the parents, but they may not agree on how to make that happen. So one sibling might want the parent to come live with them. Another one might think assisted living makes sense. Another might say, they're fine. They can live where they are on their own. Um, and so by bringing the family together, including the parents, um, that, that can be a really productive conversation as well.
0: So you mentioned having the par- parents in the, in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Should you always have, um, if, it's, if it's an elder issue, have the parents in the meeting?
1: So uh, I guess the, the way to talk about this is thinking about how to bring their voice into the room. And very often, and most often if possible, yes, we would bring them into the meeting. And then when I started mediation with this group, I used to think that that would always be the case. But I've since learned that there are certainly times when um, it, it isn't appropriate. Either, um, either the siblings are in such conflict that uh, the situation would be very challenging for the elder to participate in, or there are some capacity issues. Um, So what we look to is, first of all, figuring out what the situation is, and if it's something where the elder is the person that would be the decision maker, it's essential that their voice is in the room in some way, either by physically participating or by having, um, perhaps participating with an advocate, whether that's um, a support person or an attorney, Um, or are there ways that we can find out, if they aren't able to express themselves anymore, are there ways to find out what their preferences have been in the past?
0: So how do you determine that in advance of the of the session?
1: So uh, our process is a little different than other kinds of mediation because in some kinds of mediation, people will bring everyone together for the first session, and that's the first time the mediators have mm-hmm. met people. We offer everyone the opportunity for individual private conversations first, and those conversations are Really helpful, they're actually essential in figuring out who needs to be at the table, um, logistics, where it's going to be held, as well as you know any capacity issues and it may not even be just the elder. it could be a, a family member has some drug dependency, um, alcoholism, and so even looking at time of day and whether or not somebody can participate and how to how to maximize everybody's ability to participate mm-hmm. in the session um, so so, you asked how to make those decisions, and, and we do that by talking with everybody and getting everyone's um, input in terms of who, who are going to be the players and how to best maximize people's ability to. to so, be do part you charge for
0: things. that time as well as the session time?
1: We do, you yeah. Know. So, upfront, we will offer free consultation phone calls with people to hear about the process um, mm-hmm. and help them decide whether or not it's right for them. Once they decide that they do want to move forward with mediation, we do charge for that upfront time. Yeah.
0: good, so I have a sense that one reason to do mediation rather than something else is it um, allows people to get stuff off their chest to say what they've uh, been trying to say and hopefully have the other people listen or they maybe they have to listen because they're in the room um, and they'll have their chance to say um what uh what they want what they need to say does um get it sounds getting a little bit close to therapy but um the I assume that helps a lot. Uh, I mean, does it or not?
1: It does. Um, so, I guess, uh, and it's interesting, I was just at a program the other day that talked about you know, the difference between venting and and productive conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, sharing it once can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And as you say, get it off people's chest and help everyone hear. Um, we don't stay in the past, you know, so we aren't focusing on why things happened and all of that. Um mm-hmm. we're not doing therapy, but the process can be therapeutic. So very often, People hear things in ways that they haven't heard them before. Often people just assume that everyone knows what their intent is. Mm -hmm. um, And the impact of what they do may be incredibly different from what the intent was. And so we help people break that down and and talk about intent versus impact. And we help um, when people have things that they want other people to hear. We listen and help reflect back to help other people in the room hear that as well. So... um, And even the process at the beginning where we're talking about how to have the conversation, we're really inviting people to listen with new ears, you know, with open curiosity in a way that, um, so that they, they might actually hear things that they haven't heard before. Mm
0: -hmm. And, um, and so the sessions occur in your office or somebody's home or where where do they happen?
1: Sure. Um, so sometimes they occur in our office. We do have a large conference space. We can have, um, multiple parties and flip charts and, um, And uh, we find that sometimes it's more comfortable for people to have sessions in their own home or in an in assisted living facility, or as you say, you know, we talked earlier about potentially being online. Um, mm-hmm. We also have occasionally um, had sessions where people are participating, say, in somebody's living room and then somebody else is on the phone or, or by video conference. Mm-hmm.
0: So I've, I've been involved um, probably more in business mediation than mm-hmm. uh, than, uh than elder mediation, mm-hmm. family issues, and often in those um, we've um, we started all in the same room, mm-hmm. and everybody gets to say their piece for a little while. and then we we split up and each and there's I mean, one difference is there's usually two parties in those, and so they they or their teams are in separate rooms, and the media goes back and forth. do you, do you do do you do it that way or some other way?
1: So, so that's called shuttle diplomacy, and uh-huh. that does indeed um happen in many kinds of mediation, especially civil mediation. In family mediation, we try to do most of the work together. Um, it, it's that's not to say we wouldn't do some private sessions as well. so if um y- and you might say, why? you know, why would we do a private session if we felt like somebody was holding back something and uh, n- not in a n- not, not in terms of secrecy, but that they that they, um, weren't feeling comfortable expressing something and there was clearly something on their mind, we might check in to just see whether they were indeed um, feeling comfortable in the process and not. we wouldn't want anyone to agree to anything that they weren't comfortable with. Um, or if there were power imbalances or things like that, we might check in. Um, So there are a number of reasons we might check in privately, but then we would bring everyone back together if possible. Um, There are a few cases where we've um, done more of the shuttle approach that you talk about, and especially high-conflict cases. Um, One thing to note, though, is that if we do meet privately, we actually give everyone the opportunity to meet privately. And so you can imagine if there are Mm -hmm. a lot of family members, that can get a little tricky. Uh, Mm -hmm. so, um, So we, you know... We want to give everyone, not necessarily equal time, but equal opportunity to express what they need to privately. Mm -hmm. And when we meet privately with people, there's an added layer of confidentiality in that if they say something that they don't want shared with the others, we can respect that. Um, As long as we aren't hearing of intent to commit a crime or abuse or neglect, we can hold confidential Mm -hmm. the the things that we hear.
0: Now, you're saying we, Mm -hmm. and I I know that you do things somewhat differently, I think, than a lot of other mediators, and Mm -hmm. you work as a team.
1: Right. Right. Thanks.
0: So, want to explain how that works?
1: Um, yeah. So, uh, we find that with these cases especially, there's there are so many dynamics and so many people involved that a co-mediator team can be really helpful for a number of reasons. First of all, the mediators bring different things to the table. So, um, I have a background in social work and business, um, a, a colleague- is a former well. She's she's an attorney. She just doesn't practice as an attorney right now because she's so sold on mediation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and we have other team members as well. So we each bring something slightly different to the table. And the other thing is that when when one person is engaged in the conversation, um, like verbally, the other person can be engaged in a different way by listening, um, observing what's happening in the room using flip charts to document the decisions that are being made, Mm -hmm. or even just the the important topics people want to talk about and what's important to them about those topics. So there's a lot going on at any one time, and we find that the team works really well. We also model um, good communication, and it's okay for us to disagree in front of the parties. You know, Mm -hmm. one might say, I think it's time to take a break, and the other might say, "Uh, I I really want to ask another question first. Mm -hmm. And so the parties are seeing that, that there are, productive ways to solve, um, to resolve com- conflicts as well.
0: So you talked about, just now, about your asking uh, questions, mm-hmm. and so I'm curious more about what your role is in guiding things, and do you actually push particular solutions?
1: So w- we do ask a lot of questions, open-ended questions, and we do a lot of reflecting back of, of the things that we're hearing. We, as mediators, don't push solutions, and that actually is one of the things that distinguishes us from other kinds of dispute resolution. We're not arbitrators to come in and decide. We're not judges. Um, We're really there to help parties come up with their own decisions. We'd call that Mm self-determination. So we're there to help the parties first figure out what's important to them, help them creatively brainstorm options that they might not have thought of otherwise, and then help them figure out what's going to work for all of them, something that they can all live with.
0: And uh, do you find that it actually works in most cases that the people come to some resolution or or not? <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Um, and success in mediation can look a lot of different ways. It can be everything to to the extent of a formal memorandum of understanding that's ten pages long with a lot of detail about next steps and agreements, mm-hmm. or it could be um, some simple agreements that are up on a flip chart or it could be a new understanding between family members where they really feel like they're finally heard and understood. So um, it can look a lot of different ways, but yes, we find the process really successful.
0: And do you always end up with something written?
1: That, that's up to the parties. So again, uh-huh. the parties are in control of a lot of things mm-hmm. in this, and if they want us to document things, yes, we can certainly do that. And parties find that really helpful too because we cover a lot of ground, and there are a lot of things... Um, Agreements, follow-ups, understandings, and so to have a neutral party write that in a neutral way that is um, kind of memorializes the things that they've come to agreements on, that can be really helpful.
0: So um, I sometimes find myself as a lawyer doing some of this, mm-hmm. I think, uh, though often not uh, – well, sometimes with everybody in the room, but often not so much everybody in the room, but mm-hmm. uh, talking to people and trying to f- kind of uh, figure out what what will work um and um and just trying to think how how that's different from what you, what what you do and and maybe maybe the biggest thing is all it's all well one thing is you have a lot more experience but it's also probably you it's in person and you have more time
1: both of those things um we're also a neutral which is uh, makes a big difference for families so certainly you and others um can can do a lot with families in terms of helping them get clear on what they want and help them creatively problem solve. You also have the benefit of being able to give advice, um, mm-hmm. which is great. So not every case would be um, not every case would need to go to mediation. And at the same time, mediators can bring something different because we are neutrals. We're we're there to to develop trust with each party. Um, they don't feel like, well, of course you're saying that because you. You know he's paying you, uh, and we can get to paying later. But whether or not whether or not everybody shares the cost, or whether one or a few pay, we're there for everybody, and um, and that makes a huge difference. And as you say, we're also trained in 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 actually hearing the message underneath the words as well. So um, sometimes there's an elephant in the room, mm-hmm. and we can identify that and name it and help people talk about it if that seems to make sense you know some some we it's a we talk about it as being an art instead of a science. You know, uh-huh. there's not always one right answer. But if it makes sense to, to go there, we can. Um, while we don't focus on the past, sometimes there are some barriers in the past that are blocking people from moving forward. And so if you name that and get that out in the open and people talk about it, um, sometimes that frees them up to be able to move on and make decisions going forward.
0: So it sounds like those are a lot of reasons why, why this can work. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything else you want to add on, on that score?
1: Um i I think you talked earlier about um, you know, people wanting to get some message across and being heard. And I think that we can't underestimate the power of really being heard. People talk at each other all the time. And especially in families where we, you know, family family members have grown up together and they're used to seeing each other in certain roles. Um, and they may hold grudges like <laughs> you got the red wagon when you were 10 years old at Christmas and I didn't or whatever, or mom like you best. Mm-hmm. So those things, uh, and people make assumptions around how people feel. Um, so when we provide reflection back to people about what they've said and what's important to them, The others in the family are able to hear that in a different way. And once people feel heard, sometimes what they think they want isn't so important anymore. Sometimes what they really wanted was acknowledgement and understanding. And often when people come in with a really solid position about, I think this has to happen, once they get all of that other stuff that's so important, the actual outcome, it seems less so because they've gotten the acknowledgement.
0: Well, this sounds like a really important benefit for all sorts of families uh, dealing with issues that happen, because I know in my practice, it happens all the time. Thank you very much, Crystal. Thank you, Harry. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes.